Hello and welcome to the inaugural Bench Podcast, co-hosted by me, Nick Varney, and Dan Booth. Uh, we're actually delighted to be starting this journey today, and it's been a long time coming, so we're looking forward to getting stuck into our first show. How are you doing, Dan? I'm all good, I'm all good. Yeah? It's, um, things, yeah, things I mean, well. I'm, I'm excited to you know, start off the new year doing this, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I know we've been speaking about it for a long time, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's got to be done, so it's going to be exciting. Yeah, opinions to share. <laughs> too, so, many yeah, opinions. <laughs> too many opinions. Exactly. So, um, let's kick off, shall we? Reacting to this week's sporting scores and events. Yeah, yeah, lot, lot, to get, lot to get through with this week's sports news. So, obviously, let's start off with the NFL, um, one of my favourite topics. I think it's, you know, it's come to that exciting time of the year. The Super Bowl is coming to town. Um, so, first off, we have the Patriots versus Kansas. Obviously, Tom yeah. Brady took he the Pats to win 37-31 over back, Kansas. Back again, and with a particularly smug Instagram video following that, which uh, grated on just about every other NFL fan, apart from the Patriots fan base. I don't know if I love him or hate him. I mean, uh, <laughs> Tom, Tom, I know, I know you're listening to this. Retire. Give everybody else a chance. We need a chance. Well, see, this is the, what, ninth, ninth Super Bowl in 18 years? Yeah, something for, like that. For a Boston fan? Oh, my gosh. It's just, just incredible. I mean, Kansas had an absolutely dominant season as well. I know. I, I sort of thought, thought as the game went on, it would sort of be a um, question of whoever won the toss in overtime yeah. might take it. And that's sort of what it turned out to be. Obviously, Brady was clutched with a few of those third and longs to Edelman and and Gronk in the um, towards the five yard line. But no, they they got it done. They got it done in the end. Patrick Mahomes looked good though, looked good, and they've got promising stuff for the future. Yeah, I think you know it's if Mahomes had, had taken his team to the Super Bowl, you know. Oh, what a story that would have been! I mean, it's, it's, it's pay, how, pay how, the man already. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's 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 worth his weight in gold already from just what he's done this season, um, you know, and I think it's been a long time coming for him as an individual. I think he fully deserves the role. I think, you know, he's going to be a great leader in the future and he's a real, you know, franchise player. And on, on a rookie deal as well for however long, the next two, two, three years, he's, he has a chance. They got well, an absolute steal. <laughs> Chiefs has a chance to really build a, a team around him. So, good things. Scary for the rest of the AFC, but my, my word. God help them all. My God, have they got a good chance. And then, game number two. LA Rams and the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, it was sort of everything that we thought it was going to be, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, I think it was one of those games, it was very like, you know, punch me in the face, I'll punch you back. And, and oh, my, yeah, my God, was it physical. And two, two just cracking teams going right at it. Yeah, I think it was a it was a grind of a game. And in the, and in the Superdome as well, where the Saints were previously obviously 5-0, and so it was... Yeah, actually, no. I watched the I watched the um, I watched the game live, and the commentators all they kept on saying was there's so much noise so, that the so Rams loud. can't communicate their tactics to each other. Well, I think they were in a silent sort of cadence most of the time, but yeah, my my god, the Gar- uh, did, uh, yeah, no. it certainly dispelled any sort of myths about him not being able to yeah. push the ball down the field yeah. and win win a close game. You know, I think he has done a fantastic job really coming out of his shell, taking ownership of the team, you know, taking in that leadership role. And 
Sean McVay. I mean, yeah. What, <laughs> what, what a man. Done. What a job. And, and every, every club in the NFL are now seeming to follow that hiring process of a young, upcoming, offensive guy. But see, this is my thing, right? I'm not... I'm going off on a tangent very early on here. I'm just going to say it now. <laughs> a feature of most of our but conversations. There is this thing in coaching that you can't be a good coach unless you're a thousand years old. I mean, what's up uh, with that? Yes, yeah, so I think, I think that, that used to be the case and it used to be a case of giving, giving the responsibility to the people that have been around the block and you didn't want first-time coaches. But obviously that Sean McVay hires changed the way that owners and GMs are thinking and now that seems to be all the rage. I mean, even Cliff Kingsbury coming in from, been at Texas Tech, USC, not, done a, not even done a great job and now he's the Arizona Cardinals head coach because he's got... Yeah, but good this, this is my thing though, it's a strong defensive mind. You know, for me, Sean McVay has proven himself, you know, at, yeah, I mean, at multiple when you, when levels. When you listen to him talk, he, he is a, uh, he's a special. Did you watch um, All or Nothing? Yeah, no, with the I, LA did, Rams? Yeah, I did. That, for me, you know, when he came in, he came in and instantly took a position. Yeah. And it's a case of, it's my way or the highway. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely a, he's a strong leader. For someone so young, given that he's, given that the, Guys, is coaching aren't aren't even that much yeah younger than him. But that's the thing, you know. It's 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 not just he in just commands respect. Yeah, it? he's, he's but it's that's what I mean. You know, somebody had to have the faith to hire him. Yeah, you know, exactly. if this had been even five years ago, he wouldn't even got a look in because they want these old guys that have been doing the job that for the last 20, 30 years that get you know the head coaching job for three years before they're fired. Yeah, you know, know, don't do a great job, and then they're on to the next team. Yeah, and then they take a step back for a again. bit. Yeah, yeah. and then exactly. they're back in. They do a good job, and it's you know, no, it's, it's good to see the tide changing with that. And I maybe I worry that it's it's slightly gone too far, and good defensive coordinators and good defensive coaches aren't getting a look in. But it's, it, it, no, it's nice to see the sort of tide tide turning. And what about the call? <laughs> the call. <laughs> My gosh, if I was a Saints fan, I would be. Ooh. Ooh. But this is the thing, right? I've watched it over and over and over again. Yeah. This is sport, people. This is why we love it. Do you know what I mean? If it, if you didn't have those calls, it's it comes down to human error at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, if you had everything, you know, pinpoint accurate, pinpoint perfect, you wouldn't get the excitement. Yeah, and I know again. people are talking about reviewing pass interference calls, and that's yeah. obviously that'd be very contentious. Thing and it would obviously slow down the game even further. But it it certainly wasn't a bang bang play, and it certainly was pass interference, and it, it ultimately did. Well, I mean, he basically head by the guy. Yeah, to the it, chest, I mean, it ultimately know? lost the Saints' chance in the Super Bowl because they would have what run down the clock to something like four or five seconds. Yeah, yeah. So in a game of that magnitude, I think it's just to miss a call like that is slightly unforgivable. And they have been the NFL officials have been slightly under the cosh for the entire season. But it's the same in the Premier League. Yeah, it is the same. You know, but it's, it's not just refs. I mean, this is the thing, right? Referees, officials in every sport, they get a bad rap. No matter what they do, whether they make it's a true. good call or it's a bad true. call. But the same thing ha- happens for players. If you, make, if you miss that shot or you don't make that penalty, oh, Lord forbid, yeah. somebody is going to hang. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's true. It's true. I guess it's a sort of catch-22 well, that what well, technology does slightly solve it, but it does. I think even in 
obviously they have a whole load of replay systems in the NFL and they, they do it to a great effect and they're obviously bringing VAR or VAR into football and that's obviously highly contentious but it will eventually break those boundaries and it will become a useful technique to ironing out those kinks in the um, in the game but should you should you review a pass interference call I'd probably err on the side of no as well yeah it's, it's, de it's a definite no from me I think you take the fun out of it yeah no well, I mean it's got the it's got the entire sporting world talking this week exactly if it, if it hadn't happened was. it would have just been oh congratulations another championship game you know the Saints won the Rams didn't I personally believe the Rams are the better team. I think the Rams were the better team, and I think they had. I think they missed some good opportunities, and they were sort of sloppy, sloppy from the outset. But it, it would have been nice to see Drew Brees in the Super Bowl again. He's got some weapons around, and that Michael Thomas, I think, might be might be the best Michael, wide receiver yeah. in the league. Yeah. Ooh, big statement. I th big I statement. Think, I think Especially sitting opposite a Giants fan, and you know how much I love Odell. <laughs> Right. No, I'm a Giants fan as well. He's he's been played by injuries, so you know it's not it's not his fault. He's also it? not in a good enough system, Odell. Well, he wasn't with Ben McAdoo when basically the only play was a was a slant which he would maybe take to the house every other game. But um, we need a new. Kid. But that's 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 from our episode. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so on to British sport. Yeah. So in what in. Football this week we've obviously had a, um, a big transfer move in South West London as um, the revolving door continues to turn at Stamford Bridge as they search for a talisman at the top to um, really replace the production of Diego Costa who's been gone for a few years now. Um, obviously Chelsea have turned to Gonzalo Higuain, the sort of mercurial, yeah. mercurial striker. Um, he's had a rather underwhelming season with AC Milan. He's he's been a sort of bit part. Bit part play, he scored six in fifteen. Um, but Chelsea fans will be noting his record under Sarri. Um, he scored a whopping thirty-eight goals in forty-two games under the new Chelsea manager. So that's certainly something that's immense. For Chelsea fans to get excited about. Now, whether whether he fits into this system with Hazard and whatnot is um, is TBC. But is um, certainly a good move. And although it's short term, it's definitely. Excited the fan base. Once yeah, again. I mean, I think for me, you know, I think it's a slightly short-term fix. I don't think it's really going to make a massive impact on the long term. I think, you know, yeah, this time, well, in the summer, they've definitely got to be looking for it or a young upcoming yeah. player who who can fill that void. Not talking the next Didier Drogba or someone like that, but someone who is competent enough to hold their own and play with Eden Hazard. Yeah. I think it's I think it's an interesting prospect. I think maybe watch this well, space. I mean, we'll see we'll see what we'll see what Iguain does. I'm still a fan of Giroud, and I think I think his the tra the testament of him was proved in the World Cup when when he played almost every game, and he was fantastic. He he worked wonderfully off Mbappe, brought people into play. He was physical, and he he ultimately was a big part player in them winning the World Cup. And I know I know Alex Scott. Um, the Sky Sports pundit alluded to that um, this this last week, talking about how maybe maybe they didn't need a, a pure goal scorer, sort of a your old school number nine, but maybe someone who played with their back to goal a bit like Diego Costa did in the 2014-2015 uh, season, who can bring Eden Hazard into into the game more. He obviously won the PFA Player of the Year that season, was a focal point of everything Chelsea did. So. 
I would still like to see a bit of Olivier Giroud sprinkled in yeah. here or there. Give it, give it a chance. See yeah, what happens. I, think, I, I think, think that's the main problem, especially in the Premier League now, is they don't give anything a chance. I know, but, but you're sort of on a short, short leash, aren't you? Because it's a results business, and and like Liverpool have showed this season, the, the the lead at the top builds up like Manchester showed last season, and like Chelsea showed the season before that. You blink, you lose a couple of games, and you're suddenly seven, ten points off the top. Yeah, so, I guess it's, it's it is a tricky one. I mean, managers now are under so much pressure to yeah. get in that top three, not even the top five anymore. It's the top and, three. And that, another just point that really irks me is obviously they're under pressure, and obviously Sarri doesn't think Callum Hudson-Odoi is, is mature, maybe mature enough, maybe good enough. I would certainly, I've seen him a couple of times, um, and I just think I don't know why he's not playing. William. William, I don't know how William's like what thirty one. He's yeah, thirty one. He's he's maybe lost it a bit from what he was a few seasons back. But he should be playing. Pedro again is on the. I mean, it's, the, it's these players that are. It's these players that are. You know, the latter part of their career. I think. I think you know, to call them old would yeah, be no, a mistake. That, I mean, they're not old in any way, shape, or form. But in terms of athletic performance, I think you know, after the age of thirty. Well, we want to see. We want to see. Like, he's a young English player. Like, like these guys are getting in Germany. We want to see them. And Chelsea have got one of the best, I believe, in Europe. And he should be playing week in, week out. Whether it's with Giroud, whether it's with Iguain, but certainly Iguain will be a good. It'll be a good signing. Yeah, I'll be interested to see the first. Interested, of the games interested to see how it turns out. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, moving on. Tennis, the Aussie Open. Yeah, so we're obviously we're we're filming this on Thursday evening, so we're obviously still got the um, a few of the semi-finals to play. Uh, Naomi Osaka is through to play Petra Kvitova in the women's final, which is obviously a massive achievement for Petra, who was obviously had that horrible, horrible injury and is is lucky to still be playing tennis. And on the on the men's side of the game, we've got Nadal. Back in again, he demolished young Greek superstar. Let, let me make sure I say this right. Stefanos Tispatis, 6-2, 6-4, 6-0. And Novak is playing Lucas Puyol tonight. So um, certainly certainly an exciting prospect for those two finals. I think it's the, um, I think I'm right in saying it's the last 53, well, 53 of the last 60 men's major single titles have gone to one of the big four, that being Nadal, Djokovic, Federer or Murray. And obviously we've had that drama with Murray. Oh, Murray, Murray, Murray. I love you, but you can't retire. You just can't. You know, I think it's... Now, for me... Uh, uh, the, you can't replay through the pain barrier like no, that. No, no, no. But see, this is where, again, I'm going off on a ramp. Injury in this day and age isn't such a big deal. However, that being said, okay, now, he knew mm. from... Probably pretty early on in his career that his hips were going to play a factor. Yeah, no, I, I'm, sh I'm, I would be surprised if he didn't know that or they had had niggles previously. So this, this then plays into the the conversation that we've had many a time about agents looking after mm. their clients more. Okay, if uh, yeah, potentially more of the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, mm. but the thing is, it's they're still part of the team. Yeah, no. Yeah, you know, well, tennis not, is obviously a wider team, and the yeah. group goes around. Everywhere. And they, you know, as the agent, they should be thinking long term about careers, which obviously they have because he set up um, seventy seven sports management, yeah, which is, you know, that's a great. He, he has always plan. been like a, he has always been a pioneer of 
health and welfare and nutrition and yeah. all of that. But yeah, I mean, to be out injured for for the best part of a year, yeah, definitely. Which I think it's well, it's unfortunate, but you, maybe you have to look a bit deeper. Yeah, I mean, my my question is, why aren't we looking at the staff, the coaching staff that he has? You know, they, because they they there's a set of protocols that should be in place to you know how can we do things differently? Is, are there any you know specialists we can get involved or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's seen every specialist under the sun, hasn't he? But but it's I think a lot of players, especially you know, their coaches. But tennis is a particularly grueling sport. Yeah, I mean, it takes well, your body it? takes. You're playing like, regularly. Yeah. you're taking a beating. You're playing. I mean, five set games lasting for. Four hours, occasionally five hours. What was it? I was I was watching the um, the Aussie Open live the other day, and they were saying, you know, it's 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 not uncommon now for a lot of the games to go on until two, three, even four o'clock oh, in the morning. That, that's obviously because it's cooler there, but yeah, it can't be good for the. Body How does a player play at that? Can't, that, yeah, that can't be good for the body clock. Can't um, be good for your overall yeah health. But yeah, I mean, my my question is, you know, what, what next? He obviously the his four year deal with Under Armour. Came to an end. Yeah. Um, you know, he got $15 million, apparently. Like something around. Um, back in 2015. Now, obviously, during that time, I think it was around 2017, I'm right in saying, um, Under Armour made the decision to step away from the tennis market. Yeah. Which would have been a factor towards his, his contract. Oh, cool. Um, but I think, you know, this, he's now with, I mean, he was seen in, the, in his press conference wearing... Caster? Is that how you say yeah, it? Yeah, I, I mean, I've not, I've not seen or heard too much about the brand, but I mean, it just it. looks like a, you know, yeah. another Gymshark type <laughs> setup. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, you know, I, nothing against Gymshark, but it, it seems like um, a lesser known sportswear brand that perhaps somebody of his stature shouldn't be attaching his name to. Well, yeah, potentially he, potentially he's got some type of ownership in it, and he's. He's pressing it that way. Oh, I hope so. We shall see. We shall see. Anyways. Anyways, um, we're, we're, obviously, we're obviously both very keen on American sports and, and that side of the Atlantic. And we, we watch a fair bit of basketball. So it's been uh, incredible to watch James Harden. The beard. On the tear recently. Absolutely on the tear. The beard. On Wednesday night, he became the first man since Shaq, um, who did it in 2000, to notch up 60 points and 15 rebounds. He also recently became the third man alongside pretty elite company in Kobe and Michael Jordan to notch 400 points in a 10 game span. That's in the last 30 seasons. So he is, he is on the absolute tear and he is making a case for that MVP weather. I think he's got to be. He's got to be MVP. The beard has got to be MVP. I'm saying it now. He it's, it's, it does score points like no one else. I, I, the Greek freak, Yanis. He is he is from a different league though, and the way he takes the ball to the basket, the way he beats men, how physical he is, his scoring, he's he's defensively very stout. Whereas Harden maybe lacks on that side. He is an elite scorer, and he is putting up elite numbers, which far outweigh yeah. what he does on the defensive side of the ball. But is he a good overall player? Yeah, as a as a perhaps, perhaps not. As a two-way superstar, I think. But he is an absolute he, he, beast of a man. Certainly what he does. And I, I, if I'm honest, I, I only see this increasing, maybe putting up sort of 70, 75, going, going down Kobe-type Kobe numbers. How old is he now, though? 
how old is he? Do we know how old he is? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to have a quick look I'm not to, sure see how, to see how old he is. I'm not sure exactly exactly what he is, but he, he's been he's been putting up numbers for the last three four years. I mean, he was obviously he was obviously in a close MVP race with Steph Curry, and Steph got the nod. Um, and then he won it last year after putting up again huge numbers. I mean, he's only 29. He lost out to Russell Westbrook when he averaged a triple-double. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I mean... I, I mean, yeah. 29 years old. I mean, he's got, he's got a long <coughs> lot left in the tank. It, it'll be interesting to see what he does in the... Obviously, obviously in basketball, 16 teams get into the, um, into the playoffs. Yep. So it, that's, when, that's when the magic happens. That's when this is important. That's where he needs to be putting up 50 points, 50 points, 50 points. Just that step back, though. Oh, or sometimes just... double step back. <laughs> double, yeah. Well, that's it. That's, don't get me started on that. Well, all right, we haven't got enough time. We just haven't. Um, but yeah, I think you know he's he's an absolute beast, and I think you know he's de- he should definitely be in the running for MVP. No, he should. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a two horse race now, but it will be it will be exciting watching that unfold, and we'll definitely be sort of covering it, dipping in and out of the basketball scene. As and when. Love a bit of NBA. Um, anyway, also the what the biggest the biggest news coming out of college football, college American football, um, this last week has obviously been Kyler Murray, the mercurial double sport two sport player, has what declared for the draft even after being drafted by the uh, Oakland A's with the ninth overall pick this time last year to play basketball uh, to play baseball even baseball, baseball not basketball definitely baseball. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a... I watched this kid on the... Elite 11. That's the one, yeah, Elite 11. 11. Um, when he was in high school. And even then, I could say this kid was going to be something else. Just the way he moved for a, a guy dynamic. his age he's is dynamic. incredible. You know, I think, obviously, he's going to have to hand that money back to the Oakland A's. I mean, if, if he... If he if he does go to the NFL, I mean, it's still up in the air, and people have been speculating as to whether. Well, people say each he, agent people. are drumming up, drumming up stories to increase the amount of money he gets, or to increase to push him up higher up people's draft boards. But he's definitely he's definitely polarizing people's opinions, even on on social media and that, that thing we love, Twitter. I mean, his height is constantly uh, constantly put into question. I think he's something like five foot nine, five foot ten, and people compare him to sort of the likes of Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, who are who are sort of three inches taller. So I'm not sure that's an argument, but he would certainly be the smallest quarterback. I think if he carries, yeah, I think if he carries on the way that he's going with his development. I said this to you. I think I texted this to you the other the other week, and you were like, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" But I think, you know, in terms of career development, if he carries on going the way that he is consistently, consistently throughout his career, I think, you know, in maybe another 10 years, we could he potentially could, he have could be Tom very Brady. Good. He could be very good. Tom Brady. I'm saying it. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> that's, the most ridiculous, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's the most ridiculous statement I've ever, ever, I'm ever. I'm putting it out there now in terms of... Performance versus career longevity. He's well, yeah. He's, I I hate comparing players to players, and he, he may well be good. I mean, he in Lincoln Riley's offense, he was putting up the same, if not better, numbers than last year's number one overall, overall pick, Baker Mayfield. 
completed something like 69% of his passes. And according to um, according to Bleacher Report draft analyst Matt Miller, he thinks, uh, or he's been told, potentially four quarterbacks could go in the top 15 of the um, NFL draft this year. And so on that on that basis, Murray would certainly certainly be one of them. But will he? I will he be the next on Brady? No. Come back in 10 years. No. Come back. Come back no. in 10 years. That's Trevor, what I'm saying. Trevor Lawrence is a sure far, far better prospect, but... We'll see. We we'll shall, see. We shall see. I mean, he is... He, no one in the NFL similar to him in terms of how dynamic he is, how he moves in the pocket, how he can escape the pocket, how he can throw down the field. His accuracy has improved a huge amount this year. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I think he... Um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands and... What scheme he fits into. Yeah, one for the one to watch board, definitely. Yeah, definitely one definitely. to watch. Definitely I guess let's move on. Yeah. That's the news done. Some of, the, some of the biggest sporting stories this week. Now, this whole podcast is called Benched. So, every week, our main feature is Benched. The individual, team, or collective that we want to put on the bench for that week that's you know particularly angered or disgruntled us in any way shape or form yeah if you see if you see room 101 it's something something not too dissimilar to that sort of putting things in your in room 101 that you're angered by that you dislike that's that's really got you got something you that's just really rubbing you yeah. up the wrong and way. yeah I'm, I'm excited for this bit. I, I love a good rant and i am excited well i'll tell you what then i will let you kick off on this I know, I know you've got a topic that you want to you wanna talk about, um, so, so crack on. My, my benched for this week, I am benching Daniel Levy. And I'm not even a Spurs fan, I'm an Ipswich Town fan, um, but shamefully so, I... Who's that, Sunday League? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Daniel Levy really is doing a terrible job with Tottenham, with putting, putting that firepower behind, uh, behind Pochettino... To really convince him to stay. I know, I know he's building a shiny new stadium which costs an awful lot, lot of money and he's played his part in pulling together this team alongside a very astute manager that's capable of competing with the big hitters on regular occasions but I just don't think there's enough especially when you have the injuries and this this has brought it into focus again. Son's off to the Asia, Asia Cup. Kane is injured till they're, they're saying early March but we shall see. Tonight they go to Chelsea, obviously we're filming this on a Thursday evening. Tonight they go to Chelsea, trying to defend a 1-0 lead. Who is leading the line? Who is leading the line? They're playing against Palace on the weekend in the FA Cup. They've got Watford on Wednesday. They've got three games in the space of the week. They've then got the Champions League first leg on, what, 13th of September. They've got some big games coming up and they have no one, no one that can lead the line. I mean, in, in the past week, a few of the Spurs players, I know Eric Dyer has spoken out and he said, Lorente can lead the line for us, he can fill the gap that Harry Kane's left. But if any of you watch the game against Fulham, arguably one of the weakest or weaker sides in the Premier League, he, he wasn't good. He didn't offer that presence. He didn't, he didn't run into the channels. He, he, he just, he's not dynamic enough and he, he doesn't, he doesn't, Provide. I know he's nowhere near what Harry Kane is, but he he's not he's not suitable for a club like Tottenham who are looking to compete on all four fronts as of today, and hopefully still putting down a title challenge with the likes of Man City and um, Liverpool. I know they've also got Vitor Janssen milling about, but quite frankly, 
it looks like I've got more chance of getting a game at the minute. <laughs> That I would love to see. It's, it's, that I would pay good money. It's a borderline disgrace that they have not invested at all in getting a adequate replacement for Hurricane. I mean, Lorente now, he's 33 years old. He's notched one Premier League goal in two starting appearances and 21 substitute appearances since his £12 million move uh, to Swansea. His hold-up play is, is average. He's very physical. He's certainly a present, but he, he lacks that footballing IQ and that intelligence to play with the likes of Ericsson and Ali. Uh, to really score regularly, we, we see, and it's, it's so obvious, we see Harry Kane week in, week out when he's playing. He's picking up wonderful positions, he's running the channels, he's making acute runs between defenders that create chances and allow Tottenham's mid midfield duo to, to find that creative pass, to dink it over the top, and it's just, it's not going to happen with Lorente. And like I said, they've, they've lived dangerously for, for years now, knowing that a serious Kane injury would leave them very short. Son, Son filled in admirably, he, he, scored, he scored a few goals, he was, he was dynamic when he played up top when uh, Harry Kane had a spell out injured earlier this season. But with him gone now, you, you look at the top of the pitch and you just go, there's a complete paucity of talent. And Daniel Levy cannot just rely on people continually filling those gaps and for his manager to play a system that allows them to keep winning. And I, sort of, I take the point that the stadium's a, a huge expense and it's going to be wonderful. But they have a team at the minute which is capable of uh, for which is capable of challenging, and it's not just about the stadium. This is this is also a long-term strategy. Levy's had this long-term strategy where they bring in young, promising players on the cheap. They they utilise the academy. They bring through the academy, and it's great. And they search for bargains in Europe, and they pick up the likes of Lucas Moura for for a relatively snip compared for a relative snip compared to what you see um, going on in the rest of the transfer market, but. He doesn't have, he hasn't invested enough in the squad to really make this a, a, a team that can go far and can challenge on, on, um, on full fronts. I mean, they could, by the time you listen to this, they could have gone out against Chelsea, they could have gone out against Palace, they could be only in the Premier League and the Champions League and facing the daunting task of playing a, a, a very dynamic and good Dortmund team with, with the lack of anyone really up front. I mean, sort of... Surely they should be looking to loan someone who they can then bring in on a permanent in the summer or backdate transfer payments to next year and get someone of a not someone who plays in a similar style to, to Harry Kane or someone not obviously you're never going to get someone equal, but someone who can maybe develop into or what a sort of a premium marksman in Europe. And I've I've noted down I noted down a few here. I know I know you're not gonna get the likes of Callum Wilson who who's drastically overpriced, I think. I think I heard someone quoting something like 50, 60 million for Callum Wilson, Callum Wilson the other day, which is, which is an absolute disgrace. But you should, be look, you should really be looking abroad. And they, they are good at looking abroad. And they've picked up some half-decent players uh, from, from abroad in previous years. But something, someone like maybe Kasper Dolberg from Ajax, who's, who's 21, he's notched seven goals in, um, in 21 games in the, in the Dutch league. I, I know Victor Janssen was obviously prolific, prolific in Holland. But he just, he hasn't worked out, but that doesn't mean you have to quit on all anyone who's prolific in Holland. And I think, I think Dolberg could be an option. Another option, maybe uh, Wasim Ben Yedda from Sevilla. He's, he's got nine goals and 17 appearances in the Liga. Six in nine in the Europa League. And you obviously wouldn't have to take out a £100 million bank loan to sign him. Maybe another one, Ciro Immobile from, um, from Syria. He's a cracking option. 
looks like he wants out of Napoli. Potentially, I know Chelsea have signed uh, Gonzalo Higuain. Maybe they're looking at him again to, to really bolster that attacking front. But he would be a cracking player. He, he has a cracking goal-scoring record. He's only, he's only 28. And I just think all three of them... All three of those options would provide a significantly more capable option than what they currently have. It, it really, really irks me. You've got a cracking squad. You've got a cracking manager. You've got a new stadium. You're, you're fighting on all four, all four fronts. And, and the only signing you've made is well, in the last year is was Lucas Moura last January. I know they picked up a few others, but he the only one of real significance. They just... They need, they need someone up top, and Lorente is simply on a different planet to Harry Kane. In his, his ability to score and his ability to influence the team. And I'm, I'm, Maybe they go out and sign someone in the next few days, but I don't see it. And, and Levy will continue to hope that Pochettino pulls the cat out of the bag, wins game and with his sort of superior system. But with Kane out for another month, I just it's going to be tough. This, I mean, the strategy is flawed, and, and they won't compete for big trophies until, until they get the checkbook out and, and properly, properly have a go. Wow. What a rant, ladies and gentlemen. I, I just... Good God, I thought I was... But that is, that's next level. You really he, went off on a tangent there. He just, he just, I don't know what he thinks he's doing. But the problem is, where are they sitting in the league at the minute? Third. Third. Now... In the grand scheme of things, is a third place position at this time a bad position to be in? It's, it's, no, it's not terrible, but it's not. They, they, they've been close. They were close last year. They were close the year before. And Tottenham, have, they've become the nearly team because they every time they're in the title race and they make a hash of it in, in the last few months, weeks of the season. And But this is, this is another example. Harry Kane's injured. What are they going to do? Lorente isn't good enough. He's not good enough. Janssen is nowhere. He's not good enough. Who, who are you? You play Deli Alli as a false nine against, against someone like Dortmund? It'll be, it's, it's laughable. I mean, maybe they find a system in which it works, but even with Deli Alli going down injured or potentially injured against um, Fulham, he's got a knock. You're, if Eriksen gets a knock, wh where does that put them? Yeah, that is true. That is very true. I think, you know, <clears throat> they need to they need to have some vision. They need to have some long-term, you know, strategy in place. Yeah, I mean, they... But I'm 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 really concerned that he's going to be in the same position that Arsene Wenger was put in, in the second half of his career at Arsenal. You know, he he couldn't spend a penny. He wasn't allowed. What? I mean, he bought the likes of Mesut Ozil. Yeah, but you know, Alexis in Sanchez. terms of actual spend, but they also yeah they also built the Emirates as well. So I guess you've got the stadium. But they, they Tottenham have a young team. Tottenham have a team that is ready to compete. Tottenham have arguably one of the best, or arguably the best striker in the world, and yet there is a complete failure to to really build a squad which is capable of challenging. But do we not think they should look more towards their academy? What about, they, they those, do, what about those young players that are up and coming? Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Oliver Skip's been been in the squad the last the last month or so, and he he looks like an exciting prospect. Harry Winks is still young. They've got they've got Carl Walker Peters, who who is impressive, but you can't tell me any of those replicate the production or the influence of someone like Son or Kane. So in essence, you're waiting for an injury to happen, and when that injury comes, you are well, clearly they're not at panic stations because. 
they don't look like they're going to do anything in the transfer market, but they are going to find the next month incredibly tough. Well, incredibly yeah, tough. Yeah, I mean, he said in the press conference the other day, I don't have any money. Yeah. Well, you know, they're in, and, and unfortunately, that's the position that he's in. I think, you know... Anyway, rant over. It's, it's one of those things. I think, for me, he, the team has to take the, you know, the Alex Ferguson approach, you know? Give the young lad a chance. Yeah. Get those young uh, lads, uh, stick them in, see what happens. Part of me thinks the Premier League's changed from, from then, though, and with the likes of Liverpool spending what they have spent, I know they obviously sold Coutinho and, and bought the players with the money that they got from that sale, and with the money that Man City spend on a sort of what well, that they spent two years ago. I know they only got Mares this, um, this summer, but they're still, they are stacked. You could... They have two two very, very good players for every position. Aguero's out, Jesus still bangs in goals. Sane's out, Sterling steps in. Sterling's out, Mahrez steps in. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just... Anyway, anyway, you... You... Uh, you... Yeah. I've... I've That's enough, right. enough, enough. Do enough. something, Levy. <coughs> yeah, he won't. Anyway, what, what, <coughs> what's, what's, what's the thing that's irking you this week? Um... Well, I am um, a Man United fan, okay? I'm, I'm going to put it out there. No, I'm not a glory hunter. It's ingrained into my family. You can ask my granddad, okay? Um, Shall do. It, he's about from as far north as you can get without it being Scotland. So, you know, about the only decent... All Man United fans have an old relative who came from up there and they now live in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways. Now, my, my benched for, for this episode... Has and it pains me to say it, it really does, but it's got to be Jose Mourinho. Probably a valid choice. <laughs> I mean, he definitely polarizes opinions on all on all sides of the uh, footballing world. It's for me. I don't think my rant's going to be as as far flung as yours. I'm going to be honest. You know, I don't think I have that much to uh, say on it. But you know, maybe maybe the next one. But for me, you know, his his stint at Man United. It, what was it, like, three years? Yeah, three years. I mean, three years is a good crack, but... He, does, he tends to do three years everywhere as well, doesn't he? Yeah, but I think it's just because he pisses everybody off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think it, he is the type of individual that it's very much a case of, if you don't like it, there's the door, leave. Yeah, he is, Even he's... if you happen to be the owner of the team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his... his... Man management skills are leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that man management is his forte. No. Shall we say? I mean, you look at look at what Solskjaer's done since. Oh, Solskjaer, the the glistening hope in Man United's future. That's all I'm going to say. You know, that is a man that has has the pure, you know, unfiltered affection of his team. Not only his team, but the staff. You yeah, know. and increasingly the fan base. And the fan, I'm, I'm I mean, all for him. Give that have... man the full-time <laughs> job tomorrow. Edward was going to have a tough, tough job. Ed, I'm ringing to you tomorrow, first thing. If you do not <laughs> give that man a five-year contract, I'm going to chuck you out the window. Because I think he's the only man capable of doing the job. Anyways, that's another rant. Don't get me started. So, Jose Maria. Where do we start? Okay. 2016... It was looking promising. Yeah. You know, he came in with that Jose attitude, that swagger, that, you know, 
sod the lot that of you. Hope. <laughs> yep. You know, that, that, that hope that he brings to... He had that weird little episode at Chelsea that, you know, let's not really touch on. <laughs> um, you know, I think it. the crux of the matter comes down to his man management. You know, mm. I think he he didn't understand how to look after a Man United team. Especially you know, the bigger players, particularly Paul Pogba. Oh, that boy is a pain in the arse of any manager. I said it, I said it before they even signed him. I was like, that kid is extremely talented, but he's going to be such a pain in the A reason why Sir Alex got rid of him. Exactly. Yeah. If Sir Alex gets rid of somebody, it's for a reason, people. Mm. You know, that is a man who has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to football. You know, he understands players as not only players, but as individuals. You know, yeah. he looks at those people's families, their history, what they do, where they've been, where they've come from. I mean, his particular irk with, with Paul Pogba was his agent, wasn't it? Mino. Who were they? And that's for another day. Yeah, I could do a whole <laughs> separate episode on that, man. Um, but no, I mean, it's, look, he didn't know how to man manage. That's clear, right? But, I mean, in a recent interview, he came out and said that it wasn't his job to keep tabs on players and their personal lives, then what is your job? It is absolutely... Well, that, has, that is now a part of every manager's job, isn't it? Yeah. If you don't care about what your players are doing in their personal lives, how are you going to get the best out of them on the pitch? That's my argument. Yeah, you're not. You, ha- you, have to, you have to form relationships. You watch the likes of Pep on All or Nothing... And it's an arm around the shoulder here, he's, it's advice, he's in trainees. I mean, even Sterling came out and said the stuff he's done has worked wonders. And it, and it shows on the pitch because he's an elite player now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, pains you to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to listen pain, to that. pains me especially to say that. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it's with players now, you're, you're giving a 16, 17, 18-year-old a huge... Huge, eye-watering amount of money every week. Not even every month, every week. Every week, yeah. And you're saying, crack on, do as you're told on the pitch. I don't care about what's happening in your personal life. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get the best out of your players with that. You really aren't. I mean, and then he, he gave Pogba the captaincy and then took it away. And it was just, the whole thing was... A, I, I, he I he never out. had a consistent start in eleven. I can't work out if he, but I don't know if that if that was sort of a power play that whole Pogba thing. Like I'm still the boss, you know, you sit on the bench type. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we saw Ferguson do that how many times while he was at United? Yeah. You know, he was a case of no player is bigger than this team. Has it become a case now where players have too much power? Yeah, absolutely, too- absolutely. I I personally believe players now think they rule the roost. And they have no respect for, you know, these managers that come in and, and try to say, I'm the boss, you do as you're told. You know, how much is Pogba getting a week? Uh, you know, you, uh, a lad his age, earning that much every week. Getting a different haircut. Getting a different week. haircut, getting spray paint in his hair, sticking <laughs> it down the toilet or whatever he does to it before he goes to train or plays on a, a Saturday. You know, I think... You, those players need kicking into touch. But, but, but... You can't. In a way that they feel that they're making that change themselves. I think that's what Ferguson was very... Well, actually, no. Ferguson was a case of, 
I'm just going to spy on all, all my players and I'm going to keep tabs on them. The highway. Yeah. yeah. If you don't like it, I'm going to throw a boot at you in the changing room. <laughs> if you don't duck. Wait, did that happen? Whoa, nobody knows. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I think that approach is, is what United need. United is an ego club. It is the best of the best. You know, it always has been, it always will be. It'll be held in the highest regard. I think you need to have a manager that is capable of managing all those egos. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's don't get me wrong, it's a I case... I think that's often a case of arm around the shoulder this day, these days. Yeah. And Solskjaer's, he's done that. And he has, and that's the thing. You know, he's what, won six games back to... Seven, seven games back to back now? And that's because from day one... He took that old school Ferguson approach. You know, he came in, on his first day, he came in and, you know, greeted the receptionist that's been there since I think the place opened. Yeah, he, you know, he, had, he had bought her chocolates, flowers, and said hello, went, hello, went around and said hello to all the cleaners, the kitchen staff, the, the guys in the boot room, you know, and he took that time. Well, he, to... he understands the ethos and the culture of the club, doesn't he? Exactly. You know, I imagine Jose being one of these bosses that rocks in and walks straight to his office, slams the door and then screams at his assistant, where's my coffee? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's, you can't have that approach at a, a club like United. But, you know, I think for me... Yeah. Where, where do you see his... Uh, obviously, it went, went south, Man United. Where do you see him sort of going next? I think he said he wanted to stay in club management, but... Yeah, and he wants to stay at the highest level. I don't think anybody will employ him. Mm, it's, it's, a, uh, it's definitely a... It's, it's, one, it's one I'd like to keep tabs on because, you know, obviously he signed this non-disclosure agreement with Man United and he's not allowed to, you know, say anything to the press. I mean, he's, he's slowly but surely, I think, stomping all over that, as Jose does. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love him and I hate him. You know, in press conferences, he is the funniest man to watch because it's just a case of, well, I don't care and you're not yeah. going to get anything out of me. But at the same time, you know, you kind of have to play the game. Exactly. And I don't think he played the game. Um, anyways, rant over. So Jose Mourinho is benched for his general... Idiocy. Idiocy. <laughs> I wish I could use a stronger word, but no, I'm not going to. No, fair play. Obviously, obviously, we touched on it earlier. We touched on the NFL earlier, um, but next week sees the return of America's greatest spectacle um, in Atlanta. Atlanta's hosting the Super Bowl this year, and it's all set to be a bit of a blinder, isn't it? The Rams and the Patriots. The Patriots currently, although they have been clinging to this, I arguably false underdog tag. Yeah. Uh, I know a <laughs> the few... Patriots underdog? Is I that know, even in the same sentence? I know a few people have been saying... Well, I know a few people said that the Chiefs should have won and I know the Chiefs were favourites and that the Chiefs would win, but Patriots came out and they're actually now favourites. They're the Vegas favourites for the um, game against the Rams. Um, so what, 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 what are you thinking? For I'm putting then? a big old sum of money on the Rams to win. Yeah, I'm gonna put it out there. To me, they look like the better team. You know, they certainly man for man, talent for talent. I think they they have it. That defense will be punishing Brady, but absolutely punishing him. You would be a brave man to bet against Tom Brady chasing his sixth ring. Yeah, but I mean, you know, nobody thought they could lose, but they 
they have uh, yeah I mean I mean the Eagles what the Eagles did well so last year was they they, they showed something completely different they hadn't they hadn't done something like Philly special which is obviously a very well known uh, <laughs> play in the NFL and all teams have tried to recreate recreate it somehow but the Eagles showed them a different hand and and that got to the Patriots and ultimately won them the Super Bowl but the Rams I ultimately think the Rams may have enough without without having to change too much I think they've got they've got an elite Defence, like you said, they've got Sue and Aaron Donald who, who provide a formidable interior pass rush, pass rush as well as some uh, big bodies to block up that Patriots running game, which is going so well. And they also have um, Akeem Tlaib and Marcus, Peter Marcus Peters in the secondary who, who can definitely hold their own against the likes of Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman. Can I just, I'd, I'd just take a minute mm. to say that Aaron Donald... Yeah, what a season. What a season. What a man. You know, the, the, he's a, a tank. He's certainly you know, impressive. He will bulldoze anyway. God forbid you ever went up against him. He'd snap you in half. The speed, the agility that he has for such a big man. Arguably the best player in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, he's, he's going he's gonna to cause... The fact he was in the MVP discussion. Yeah. I mean, says a lot. And he's going to cause the Patriots some real trouble on that line. But they, Tom Brady hasn't been sacked yet in the playoffs. Can you believe that? Oh, but they haven't played the Rams yet. They haven't played the Rams. They have come, come up against some good defences. But, yeah, likewise, I know predicting a Rams victory in Super Bowl 53 is a dangerous game. And betting against the greatest quarterback of all time with Bill Belichick on the sideline becomes more lethal when they're uh, chasing their sixth ring. But I really believe that the Rams do have the best player on the field in Aaron Donald. And uh, thanks to their, their big haul of free agents last spring, they, they do have the better team. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it's going to be a very exciting match. I also believe that, you know, the run game is going to play a massive part for the Rams. Well, CJ Anderson ah. has looked an inspired signing yeah. since he came in. Athletic. Ran all over the Cowboys. Athletic young man. To say the least. <laughs> to say the, the very least. I'm the athletic running back in the game. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he can certainly bulldoze over a few defenders. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's... it's. I think hopefully Todd Gurley will be back to full full or 75% fitness. By that, that is a man I would love to spend an entire episode talking about because that is an athletic man. I mean, for me, quite possibly one of the best players in the NFL. Right now. Yeah, I mean, the numbers he puts up are astronomical, but he was playing behind a incredible, well, a very good offensive line. He was playing in a very good team that was putting up huge numbers, especially at the start of the season. Would someone like Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott do the same thing in his offense? Mm. Who knows? Who knows? But he, he is certainly a mercurial talent in this league. Well, I will be... Wearing the uh, Rams jersey for the Super Bowl, who will you be going for? I, I, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough one. My, my heart says the Rams. My head says Tom Brady. I, I just, he's been in this situation so many times before. The, the Rams have a whole, uh, the Patriots have a whole load of players who have been in this situation before. The, will they find a knack? Will they find some? some way to to grind this one out and and get their sixth ring. I 
If I'm, go I've got to go with my head. I've got to say the Patriots win it. I've well, I've changed. I've got to say the Patriots win it. There you go. And and Tom, if you're listening, do us all a favour. <laughs> yeah. After this one, mate, just retire. I, I'm not sure that's happening. I'm not sure that's happening. Especially. Giselle and the kids want you to retire. Go home, spend time with your family, <laughs> and give the rest of us a running <laughs> chance at least. Well, the Giants haven't got a shot oh, anyway don't, next don't, year, don't. so just giving it to Hopefully not the Cowboys, but we will see. We will see. Anyway, um, sports news. Yeah, we 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 want to bring sort of the latest sports news to you every episode. This is we both work in sports. We're both heavily involved in the in sports business and that type of thing. So we want to include that in our in our podcast. So we've sort of picked three this week that are definitely worth mentioning and sort of talking about. Yeah. So I mean, the the FA's new positivity campaign. Yeah, fantastic. For me, long, fantastic initiative. Long overdue. Long, long overdue. Um, you know, I think that they they come under a lot of pressure. The FA. Yeah, um, yeah, but the, the youth game needs to be has to be um, has to be not refined, but it ha they have to have. I think too long we've had people shouting on the sidelines. It becomes people translate their behaviour from football matches to youth football, and it becomes it's it's ridiculous. But the thing is, it's it's you know it's the same. Believe it or not, in Sunday league. I know we have. You know, a couple of years ago, I used to uh, I used to coach um, local under 17s um, boys team <clears throat> from uh, out in Hertfordshire, where I'm from. I remember one Sunday, we actually had two dads full on punch up because of a tackle. It's just it's madness. And it's the, madness. you know, there's there's these you know I'm not just saying it's dads. Mums are just as bad. Um, screaming at their kids. It does need some sort of reform. Anyway, so hopefully this, this goes some way to improving it. It was launched this Monday on Blue Monday, which is supposedly the, uh, the most depressing day of the year. Well, um, and the project forms part of the FA's We Only Do Positive Respect campaign, which seeks to improve both touchline and on-pitch behaviour in youth football across the country. Obviously, we had some, some big names behind it. England's Ross Barkley and Jesse... Lingard took part, England women's Tony Duggan and a England blind squad member Azim Amir took time to talk about how positive encouragement was when they were at a young age and how it benefited their lives and careers. So it's it's, it's definitely it's been presented very well. So hopefully we see some some changes. Yeah, I mean, is it you would hope that it's not you know style over substance. Um, you know that's something you're going, you guys are going to hear from me a lot. I mean, I mean, it has to be. Yeah, it has to be backed up. It has to be. The, I mean, the coaches are receiving these emails from the FA. They're ultimately the ones that have to transmit this. They have to utilize the hints and tips and the insight that has been given to them to to make this a more positive environment. Yeah, I think you know, kids of today need it. You know, I think they're not built as strong as they used to be either. You know, yeah. some some call them the snowflake generation. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, it's... I think it's, it's us, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably us as well. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's, it's nothing but positive. I think, you know, it's, it's any, any positive um, things that we can add to the game, I think is incredible. Certainly a good initiative, certainly a good initiative. Especially at the youth level. Yeah. Anyways, um, the announcement of On The Upside... So, you sent me this, tell me more about it, because I, it's come out of nowhere. Yeah, so uh, it's, actually, it's actually just been, I think it was announced today, but 
On the Upside have launched, which or On the Upside are a new digital and social media agency, and they've launched alongside the ATP Tour as a sort of founding client. They're um, huge. <laughs> I know how how you land that as a founding client. Who knows? Uh, they're placing data analytics and insight at its very core, and they'll be tasked with support, supporting commercial growth and developer developing a standardised reporting book. Um, and to be fair, their work has already paid dividends as their the a, the ATP um, ATP event in London in November last year went on to be the best performing event on social media to date for the ATP. So I think both parties are incredibly excited about yeah, what this brings moving forward and providing actionable insights and, and boosting those revenue streams, which is obviously important. That's all people seem to care about. I Boost know. those revenue streams, it's people. It's the bottom line that counts. But Somebody's walking around with a big old drum. <laughs> it's, Boost it's, those it's, revenue streams. It's certainly interesting, and, and, and that um, change towards data analytics and insight is becoming more and more prevalent with every company and, and the likes of Seven League and Two Circles, other sporting agencies are really pushing that, pushing those insights becoming more actionable and taking those into into what we do in our campaigns, etc, etc. Et yeah, no, definitely. Insights and analytics are, are going to play a huge part on all fronts, I think, in sport for the, you know, the foreseeable future. Exactly. And this is sort of resonated in our in our third news story, which we sort of picked out, which was, uh, this was back in December, but Man City have partnered with um, SAP and um, this is surrounding uh, SAP Challenger Insights and a part of the SAP Sports One solution. It's effectively a mobile application accessed through a tablet that provides coaches and analysts with data and insights surrounding an opponent's tactics and characteristics, such as their maybe offensive and defensive or defensive tendencies and formations. And it's used, this, this announcement was used to sort of say it's, it's now being used on the touchline. Um, and it's tailored to cities to cities set up, and then they they become one of the first clubs to sort of turn to real time analytics and information to to get their results to improve their chance of results on the pitch. Yeah, I think you know City have always done a great job, especially in recent. Uh, they don't need any more help, do they? <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, but I think you know they've they've always been at the forefront of you know inputting technology and and coming up with ways to you know increase their performance both you know game day and training um so i think it'll be interesting to see what what comes of it I, you know i'd be interesting to see oh i mean we, we see we see it, technology and that type of technology used on the touchline of nfl games all the time and yeah. obviously that translates to like substitutes in at half time they can look look at real time actionable analytics and and change the way they play because of that but it's, it's certainly interesting and it's certainly something to that, that yeah. all Premier League football clubs will eventually follow I presume I think you're going to have you know you're going to have teams of people dedicated to this stuff in like five years yeah no, it's, it's, it's mad it's, not to with the way yeah with the way that those well data analytics is trending yeah I mean it's you know it's a big big thing now and there's so much pressure put on you know teams managers players that they're going to need to get every little advantage that they can and i think you know analytics is the is the best way um just to just to give a little plug if i may um, <laughs> well, you're welcome i recently acquired um a whoop strap now whoop is a 
fitness strap device um, that monitors your heart rate throughout the day um, and focuses on strain, recovery, and sleep. Um, and I know that a big thing for them is actually implementing that technology into sports. So you can get real-time results of what's happening with a player's body. I think that is very exciting. So you they, know, they've taken a lead in sort of dishing out to sports. Yes. I mean, sports LeBron James was the one, very one, like one of the first athletes to be involved. Back Big in, involved in CrossFit, aren't they? Yeah, huge. Catching huge. huge. Yeah, I'm not going to say her surname. David's daughter. David's daughter. Yeah, I think I think like that's that. how the Americans say it. Um, but you know, I think it's they're a very exciting company to watch. Um, you know, I rely on my boot band every day. First thing I do when I wake up is check what my sleep the night before has been like, um, you know, and it breaks it down into how many disturbances you've had and all that sort of thing. And I think for for athletes that plays a huge, huge part. So that's some really I just wanted to mention it because it's some really exciting technology. I mean, it's yeah, it's certainly very exciting, and I and I think we'll definitely go on to uh, talk about this in future episodes because we'd love to sort of do a sports tech related piece and and what's trending, which way and and these sort of new innovators within that space. Yeah, definitely. So I'd be up for it. What, well, watch this space. Watch this space. Um, well, well, that's sort of all, all we've got time for, for episode one of uh, Benched. Hopefully we haven't bored the hell out of you. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's going, yeah. It's been I think it's gone pretty well. Yeah, it's, good. it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Um, we, we sort of hope it's a bi-weekly podcast, so we'll be coming back back to you in two weeks' time, uh, to digest the Super Bowl result, we've obviously got post-transfer um, deadline day. Fingers crossed Daniel Levy gets his checkbook out for that uh, striker. Go on, Sam. We'll be, we'll be talking a bit more about the draft, and in particular, a potentially underrated 2019 QB quarterback draft. Um, could be interesting. Uh, we'll also be doing a review of Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, a memoir by the creator of Nike. It's a, uh, it's a cracking reminder of the ups and downs of starting your own business with plenty of brilliant sporting stories within. We'll also be benching a further two two things or people within the sports industry. Maybe a collective. Maybe a collective, <laughs> as well as talking all the latest sports and sports business news. Certainly not one to be missed. Thank you for uh, join, joining us today and listening. We hope you've enjoyed the first ever Bench Podcast. As always, hit the subscribe button, uh, listen to us on Spotify. Um, give us a review. Yeah, give us a review and we'll see you again in two weeks.